Oh my goodness, it feels good to be in the house this morning. So good to see you. Excited about this evening. Pastor Jeff Lyle's going to be with us. You don't want to miss that. I want you to go in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I've been wrestling and struggling with the word that I am going to bring to today. And I want to ask you in just a moment to stand back to your feet because we want to pray over the word today. It's been in my spirit for some time, for some period. And so I want you to prepare your hearts, your minds, and your spirits to receive from Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 14. I want you to turn to those two passages of Scripture today. I will be visiting other words, other Scriptures, but those two will be our dominant text today. So stand to your feet if you would, please. Let's hold up the rivals if you would. Lord Jesus, we recognize this to be the infallible, inerrant, unchanging word. That Lord, this has been spoken to you and breathed upon man. And Lord, through their fingertips, pen to paper, you have instructed them what to write. These are your words that cannot be added to are taken away. So Lord, we position ourselves this morning. Now hold that Bible up. We position ourselves this morning underneath the word. Now just place it above your head if you would. That Lord, this is my umbrella. This is my guiding light. It is my lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, these words are like fire. Sometimes they're like a hammer, but at other times like a sweet tablespoon of honey. At times it's salt in the womb, and at other times it's the balm of Gilead. I thank you, Lord, that you use it as a chastening tool at times, but Lord, as a warm blanket in cold, wintry days. We will adjust to it, Lord, and not expect it to adjust to us. It is our authority. Help us to rightly divide it, Help us to understand it and apply it. So say this after me. Say, Jesus, I submit to your word. I acknowledge its truth and release its power and conviction in my life. I will do what it asked me to do in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said amen. And amen. You may be seated in the place today. I want to talk to you today about the most terrifying verse or verses in the Bible. When you read the Bible, when you read the scriptures, 
There are certain scriptures that literally stand out to you. Am I right? That you go, oh my goodness, that, that's kind of uh, troubling. That's kind of problematic. And there are certain scriptures and certain passages that literally cause me to take a second look. And I want you to know the text that I'm about to read in two different places require more than just a casual glance or a brief overview. No, these two passages require much more. And I, and I feel that it, it demands a sober look. Everybody say sober look. Now, my love for you compels me to deal with these two passages. My duty to God gives me no choice but to cautiously, now listen to me, and fearfully walk in and out of the words of this passage. So with that being said, I want you to know that there is fear and trembling in what I am about to share with you today. Now, these are the exact words of Jesus. Regardless of your denominational affiliation, regardless of where you come from, how you feel or what you think, all of those must be measured up against the exact words of Jesus. You and I do not have the freedom to interject what we think and what we believe to be his intent. Nor can we manipulate it to fit and to squeeze into our perspective our lifestyle. This text is a shocker. He gives us this text to warn us so that none of us are caught by surprise or deceived or have a false hope. Let me read it. Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, verse 13. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in and buy it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are say it. How many? There are few that find it. Verse 21, now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, 
Have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Hold your spot and look at Luke chapter 7. Jesus basically says the same thing. This is Luke's narrative, if you will, his remembrance of that conversation. Verse 22, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? There it is again. Everybody say few. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. I don't even know where you're from. And they'll say, don't you remember that we ate with you and drank with you in your presence and you taught us and we sat under your teaching in our streets. And he'll say, I tell you, I do not know you. Depart from me, all of you that work iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To me, as I quantify and as I classify the difficult passages of the scripture, this has to be in the top three most difficult texts in the entire Bible. It is terrifying to me. There are a lot of things that are working in this text, but before I get into them, I need to state this at the beginning so that all of us should agree on this one thing. Now listen to me, that we must have this common ground, and here it is, that God wants every single individual who has ever taken breath on this earth to be born again. I'm going to say it again. God desires that every individual who has ever taken one single breath His desire, his hope, his heart is that he wanted and wants that individual to be saved. People everywhere to be born again. How many of you believe that in the house? Now that's our common ground. That's where we have to come and have this this agreement that this is the plan of God. But even as I say that, salvation is for all people. But not all people will be saved. As sadly as that is, even though it is the will of God, the desire of God, the heart of God for people to be born again, we all know that not all people will bow their hearts and their knees and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that to be a fact as well. But as I stand before you today, I cannot preach to the dead, but I can preach to the living. And as your pastor, I can stand in front of you and talk to you about what it truly means and looks like to be born again. For I am afraid that what we have heard and what we have learned over the last several decades and perhaps even beyond that generations, that salvation is not what we have always thought it to be. Now, the end result salvation, yes, but how to enter into a salvation relationship with Christ I think there has been some muddying of the waters. 
So therefore, now we have a lot of people saying, I am saved, and yet they're not saved. Hmm. To be born again, one must meet certain conditions. There is a cooperation between God and man. Do you hear what I'm saying? Preconditions must be met. Before I get into that, understand in this text that there are two roads, you see it, two choices, and two destinations. Two gates, two roads, two choices, two destinations. And I declare to you that these roads cannot be traveled simultaneously at the same time. I can't choose the narrow road and the broad road and live in both of them at the same time. Now, I'm just giving you Bible. Your Bible even says you cannot serve Satan and Jesus at the same time. He says, you're going to hate one and love the other. There's this dichotomy. There's this schizophrenia, if you will, in the body of Christ. One moment we're with God. The next moment, we don't even know if we are saved. We look saved and we act saved. And we're bouncing back and forth trying to understand what this really looks like. I'm here to tell you that even the words of Jesus says you cannot do that. You cannot go from side to side. Paul said that you cannot drink from the Lord's cup and the devil's cup at the same time. You can't eat from the Lord's table and the devil's table at the same time. Now, this broad road is attractive, appealing. It's fulfilling. It's fun. Most, if not all, of your friends are on it. It is broad, wide, anything goes. It's not restrictive, it's expressive, it's entertaining, it's inclusive, it embraces everything, it opens its arms to all, and it swallows all. Talk to me. The welcome sign over that particular gate says, be yourself, express your feelings, follow your hearts. You matter and all of your thoughts matter. Follow the dictates and the impressions of your heart. On the broad road, you can always find someone to support or to validate or to approve what you are doing. On the broad road, there are many voices, mm -hmm. many who quote the Bible, many who focus on liberty. Grace is a word that is completely misunderstood on the broad road. 
They talk about freedom. They talk about justification. They talk about what you do really doesn't matter. You're now in God. Do whatever you want to do because grace covers all. But Jesus talks about there's a different road called the narrow road. This narrow road is very, very constrictive. Mm. Your Bible says it is a difficult road. Look at your text. You do not hear very many preachers or or churches begin to bloviate and articulate about when you come to God and how you get to him is difficult. Your Bible even says in Luke chapter 14, look at the text, hold your spot in in Matthew chapter 7, look at Luke 14. He says here, the very first word he said to them in verse 24, he said, I want you to strive to enter through the narrow gate. This word strive means to agonize. In fact, the Greek word is agono, which literally we get our word to agonize. You must understand that to come to God and to begin to live for God is not as easy as we have told it to be. My Lord, I feel it in the house. It is very narrow. And the Bible says because it is so narrow, very few people find it. Not everybody that comes to the gate is attractive by the narrowness of coming to him. It's constrictive, interpreted as works, striving, agony, contending. You have to understand that God wants every person to be saved and every person can be saved. But watch this. There are preconditions that have to be met in order to walk through the narrow gate. I am not talking about works. I'm not talking about being a good person, but I am talking about there are certain things that you have to wrestle with in your head. There are certain things that you've got to settle in your heart, not after you get through the gate, but before you get to the gate. Oh, I see. I, I, I now understand because religion doesn't teach this. Come as you are. He'll accept you just as you are. And that is a truth, but not the whole truth. I can take you through example after example in the New Testament where people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to have eternal life. What do I need to do to have eternal life? And he dealt with them and he says, I want you to have eternal life too, but there's some things that I need you to do. I've got to get, I've got to get your mind right and I've got to get your heart right. Not perfection. A lot of people come to the gate and because we have made it look like the big gate, everybody runs through it. That's good. 
And your Bible says there's going to come a day that when we stand before God and says, Lord, I sat under great teaching. I sat under great worship services. I even heard you teach Jesus and I ate from your hand and I took food that you multiplied. And Lord, I, I, I knew you. I thought. And he says, I don't know you. That's right. Say that. I don't know you. It's not important if you know him alone. He needs to know you. The narrow road, you must be willing to walk alone. Talk to me in the house. By yourself. If you're a teenager, you must be willing to sit alone, to be mocked, to be made fun of without your brothers and sisters or even your parents. If you are a husband, to walk alone without your wife, isolated with no friends. The narrow road has very few people on it. But the broad way, if you will, there are lots of people. Your Bible even says, look in verse chapter seven of Matthew. He says, it is difficult is the way. Difficult is the way. Difficult is the way. It is not the Western mindset. It is not the American Christianity. Father, I feel your heart. I feel his heart. Being saved is difficult. Being born again is difficult. There is a pursuit in your heart to love him, to please him, to be his voice, to be his witness. On this road, there's this isolation, misunderstanding. There is persecution. The threat of being judged, being laughed at, being mocked, being made fun of. And then while you're on the road, you have to fight your flesh continually. But we must understand that being saved is not like a vaccine. Where you can say, I did that. I got it. I'm good. I got these antibodies floating through my system. Being saved is not like a vaccine. Oh, when I was seven, when I was eight, oh, I remember walking down the aisle. Oh, I remember believing this. I remember feeling that. I remember having this emotion. Being saved is not like a one-time inoculation as if it is a vaccine. Being saved is a continual expression of a commitment to Jesus, to love him, to obey him, to desire him, to serve him, to seek him, to worship him, to pray to him, to honor him. Yes, so good. In today's culture, altar calls are often invitations for salvation. If you want to miss hell, come to the front. 
If you want your sins forgiven, come to the front. That's our altar call. If you want release from shame, you want release from the guilt, the condemnation, if you want a new life, come to the front. All of those things are fine and wonderful and need to be expressed, and they are true. But most of them are just nothing more than receiving benefits from God. I'm going to say it again. Most of our altar calls are receiving the benefits from God. Peace, happiness, joy, prosperity, blessing. Sweet sleep at night. All of those are benefits and I love them and they come with the salvation experience. But his invitation to his followers were not about only the benefits, but about following him. About taking up your cross and denying yourself mm, and following me, loving me to the point that it looks like you hate your own parents because you're so in love with me. The gospel that Jesus propagated here is not about man and the benefits alone. Mm-hmm. It's about a relationship. It's about a love for him. Because there's going to come a time when the benefits wear out. Where you found peace at an altar because you was going through some chaos. But six months, six years down the road, now you find peace in a beer bottle. Now you find relaxation in a glass or two of wine or in a relationship. The benefits that directly affect our mental well-being oftentimes can be replaced with fleshly benefits. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Bible says again, look at it in your text in Luke chapter 14. He says, strive. He says, many are going to try to get into that gate and shall not be able. That lets me know, hear this, how can I say it without you misinterpreting? That lets me know just because you desire is not enough. Just because I desire to go to heaven, desire to be saved, desire to have my sins forgiven is not enough. Desiring to go to heaven and miss hell, the agony, desiring to have my marriage straightened out, desiring to live right. These are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things, but it's not enough. Do you hear me? Pastor, what do you say then? It sounds like works. No, the Bible makes it clear, for by grace you're saved through faith. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. I can't get through the gate by stopping what I'm doing. 
this side. But what I do is bring my stuff to the gate. And I make the commitment from that point forward that when I step through that gate between this two and a half inch stepping across the line, something's going to happen to me that will forever mark me, but I have already predetermined what I'm going to do with my weed. I have already predetermined what I'm doing with my lover. I have already decided because I know that I am so empty and I am so lost and I am so undone. I know that my only hope is to go through this gate but before, me, before I can enter that gate, I have to come to the conclusion that there are certain things that cannot go with me through the gate. This is when people get good and saved. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because this is what happens in our culture today. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. So here's what, here's what happens. We got all this stuff we like. We like to party. We like to drink. We like to have sex. We like to lie. We like to steal. We like to cheat on our taxes. But we also like the fact that I want to go to heaven to be with my family. I could not think of being, spending one day apart from my children in, in, in hell and they be in heaven. And so we hear good preaching. We go to churches that really tell us how great Jesus is. And all of that is true. And all they simply say are a few words like this. You just need to believe in Jesus. You need to say a little prayer. And, 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 and then, you, you know, come and fill out the church card. And we may baptize you. And then you're going to be born again. But your Bible says, your Bible says. that. And, and God says, I'm not going to widen the gate. I'm not going to widen the gate for you. I love you. I care for you. I have grace for you. I don't want you to die and go to hell, but I'm not changing my conditions. I'm not changing. And that's why so many people try to go, I can't get. I can't. It's narrow. It's always going to be narrow. It has always been narrow. That's why this is attractive, because I can still party, I can still drink, I can still cuss, I can still lie, I can still womanize her, and if I'm Bishop Lance Jai, I can still be a gun runner. Come on now, somebody. And walk. Oh, this feels good. Grace, 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 all this grace back here. I like it. I love it. There's no condemnation right here. I can party. I can, listen, I can do whatever I want to do. I can say whatever I want to say. And there's no. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. This is why, listen, this is why he says few find it, few find it, few find it. Very few people find it. They don't like us. They don't, what do you mean I can't do that? What do you mean I can't say that? What do you mean I can't go there? That sounds like legal. Jesus said, well, narrows the. I don't bring my weed in there. I don't bring my alcohol in there. I don't bring my pornography in there. I don't bring my stealing self in there. I don't bring my lying self in there. Come
Be seated. So how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm born again? I'm telling you, some of you are going to get born again here today. Some of you, some of you, some of you have been sitting under the teaching of the master, just like what they said. Jesus has been teaching. You've been reading your Bible. You're getting all these things and you're thinking, and I, and I may be on this team and that team and this team. And all your life, you've been thinking that you've been born again. But God says, there's going to come a day. You must understand few people, few, very few people are going to find that gate. What do I have to do to get through that gate? You have to understand this book does not adjust to us. It doesn't care about your feelings or your emotions or your friends or your neighborhood or what you think is right or what you hope is right. Your Bible says narrow is that and it is very difficult. Well, what about the rest and the ease in Jesus? Well, let me tell you about that. There's a lot of rest and a lot of ease right here. When your focus is the narrow road. But as long as you look from this narrow road to the broad road, all your friends, all your associates, all the people around you, and you're thinking, I, I don't know what I could do without them. I've known them for 50 years. I don't know if they, I, I don't want them to think I'm more holy than them. And as long as your eyes are over there, mm, there'll be a quagmire in your life of where you'll grow up and you'll have to choose. You'll have to choose. I hate church. I hate church. I hate church. That's what, I don't want to go back to church. Makes me feel bad. Legalistic. Judgmental. Hard. Difficult. Painful. Welcome to Christianity 101. Welcome to Biblical Christianity 101. Because on this narrow road, if you want to stay on the narrow road, there are decisions you make here and decisions you have to make here. So how can I be saved? How do I know that I am going to be one of the few that make it through there? Let's begin with Romans chapter 3, verse 10, shall we? Go there. You guys can pull that up somehow for me in a moment. Romans 3, 10, Romans 6, 23. Romans 3, 10 says this. This is the beginning point of salvation, not the end and all of it. I'm going to walk you through in about a few moments how to be born again and how you know you're saved. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10, it begins here. There is none righteous. No, not one. All of us are outside these two gates at one time. Not one person who's ever been born is righteous. Do you hear what I'm saying? They're not righteous. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. We're not righteous. Therefore, this presented an issue with the Father because he wanted people to come and spend eternity with him. Mm -hmm. 
But because of their sin and the separation between God and man due to sin, we cannot and could not have a relationship with God. That's why we introduced the sacrificial uh, lamb. That's why he introduced the sacrificial lamb, the sacrifices, the shedding of blood. So for that period of time, man and God were brought together because the sins were taken care of. Touch your neighbor and say, none of us are good enough. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of my sin is spiritual death, physical death, you name it, death of all types. The wages, the payment of my sin is death. But here's the beautiful thing. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God, salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2, you can't earn it. I can't work my way there. I can't can't give my way there. I can't sacrifice my way there. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's your scriptures. That's your Bible. But on this side of the gate, of this side of the gate, there's a gift. He's not going to give you the gift out here. He gives you the gift here. It's available to all, but very few people find it. Do you see this? Okay. Now, Romans chapter 10. Do you see it? Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be, I was at a meeting, mass, mass evangelistic meeting in Virginia one time and a very well-known evangelist was preaching and they pro- they're probably 500 people in the room. And he said these words. He said, who wants to be saved? And hands went up everywhere. Who doesn't want to go to hell? Hands went up everywhere. Who wants to be saved? Hands went up everywhere. He says, this is all you have to do. Call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And watch this. Then he read the scripture, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He quoted that scripture. And he led them in a prayer. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I invite you into my heart to be my savior. He asked them, how many of you prayed that prayer? 
every hand went up and he says, welcome to the family of God. Now listen to me. I love everything about that, but it falls short. It falls short. You can't take one scripture out of its context and says, if I just believe in Jesus, I will be saved. Or if I just confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I shall be saved. Those are two key components. Believing and confessing. But how many of you know your Bible also says that the devils believe? That's right. That's right. And they tremble. How many of you also know, according to Matthew 7 and Luke chapter 14, they also believed? For they even said it with their own mouth. And they even started doing good works. Hmm. These two verses are a part of the equation. Matthew chapter 3 gives us the other component. Go there. Matthew 3, verse 2. Pull it up on the screen. I want everybody to see it. You may have to take a picture of this. John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus the Messiah. He is preaching in the wilderness. He's baptizing in the, in the river Jordan. And in verse 2, here's his message. Here's his message. The first thing that he says, repent. The first message John the Baptist preached was to his congregation that was out there in the wilderness. He says, I need you to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. I need you to repent because the narrow gate is at hand. So Jesus, in his first message, Matthew 4, turn, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' first known proclamation as far as a message, a preaching of, his, of, of, of his, uh, his kingdom. Matthew chapter 4. I want you to look at verse 17. He comes out of He comes out and he begins to preach. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say what? Verse 17. Repent. For what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not enough for me to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not enough for me just simply to ask Jesus into my heart and say, oh, I don't want to go to hell. Uh, who wants to burn forever? I want, who doesn't, who, who, who wants to be separated from the family? I'll, do, I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to say. If you guarantee me that if I say these magical words and I believe what you tell me that I need to believe, I'll do it because I don't want my flesh to melt off my bones. Acts chapter 2. There's a pattern here. First message John the Baptist preached, repent. First message that Jesus preached, repent. The Holy Ghost falls in verses 1 through 4. Talk to me. They began to hear in their own language the wonderful works of God. 
Peter gets up to preach a sermon, verses 14 and following. Mm -hmm. And then they ask him the question. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now watch this. It doesn't get any plainer than this right here. Stay with me. What shall we do? What shall we do? Go to Acts 2.38. What shall we do? And the first word he says. He says what? He says repent. He says repent. Repent. Repent is not good works. Repent is, okay, before I get in here, I gotta stop drinking. That's good works. Or I gotta clean my act up on this side so that he will receive me. That's not the gospel. That's the gospel plus works. You don't clean up out here. You can't clean up out here. You can't do enough out here. You can't do enough to earn out here what he wants to give you in there. But there is, there is this line. There's this, this is, imagine if you could just, there's this line that you're on the outside. You can't clean up. That's why you know I need a savior. I need deliverance. I need healing. I don't want to go to hell. I want to have a life. I want to have peace. And I know I can't have it out there. And so you come to this point and you're right here. And he says, okay. I want you to cross over here, but there's this fine line right here. And the one word is repent. Now, what's repent? It's not alone. I'm walking in this direction and I decide to go in that direction. That's not repentance alone. Because anybody can do that. I can go to, I can go to 12 steps. Repentance. Biblical understanding of repentance is a wrestling in your head and in your mind. Repentance is a mindset. Talk to me now. Mm -hmm. Walk with me. Walk with me. It is the changing of the mind. Mm. It's not just the thought, but it's an actual changing of the mind. Not the thought, I need to do better. No, 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 we all have those thoughts. But it is an actual transaction that happens in your head that you're no longer gonna walk in that direction. You're no longer going to go in that place, in that direction. It is already settled in your mind. Amen. It's not a fleeting thought that I need to improve my life. No, it's a calculated decision. I said it's a calculated decision. I said it's a calculated decision. Talk to me in the house. It's calculated because your Bible says, I want you to look at this. I want you to find it with me, this text that says that any man that goes to war, the very first thing that he must do is count the cost. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen on this side of the gate. I think sometimes people come to the altar too quickly. Amen. That's right. 
Boy, I'm going against my Baptist roots like I've never gone before in my life. Y'all, y'all I'm, I'm even having a hard time even saying that. My Baptist upbringing just crawling all over me right now. Talk to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? I th- people send me, why don't you have altar calls every Sunday? Why don't you bring people down and let them fall on the floor every Sunday? I said, I- I'm t- on purpose. On purpose. Because I want you to think about what you're asked to do and need to do in your heart. Amen. To wrestle with it. To take it home. Have a conversation at the table. Have a beer bottle next to you on the table and you're wrestling with the decision. Not whipped up in an emotion on a Sunday service. That's right. And I, 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 I guilt you into coming to the front. Find that text, count the cost. Count the cost. I want us to read it. Luke 14. Huh? That's what, thank you. Turn there. I know that, and then some of you may think, well, I, I don't know if I agree with that. That's okay. Don't, don't, you don't have to agree. Okay, now look back up to verse 25 of Luke 14. Now notice he says this right after chapter 13 of Luke. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, now watch this, now listen to him. That, you want to follow him. He said, okay, here's the deal. I'm not looking for followers in the sense of being a convert. I'm looking for disciples. I'm not looking to put your name in a Lamb's book of life and I never see you again. I'm not interested in you having a quick moment at the altar and praying a prayer and now, oh, now you're saved. And an evangelist can brag about, oh, 55 people came to the altar. He's not into that. Now look at verse 25. Pull up Luke 14, 25 on the screen. Great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, verse 26, if anyone wants to come to me, now watch what he says here, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. No, 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 let's, uh, we, need to, we need to... Our Western culture hates this because it's all about us, It's about our life, our prosperity, our peace, our safety, our convenience, our comfort. Right? Is it not? That's right. Yes, it is. And so whenever a preacher talks like this and all of a sudden gets into the text, I'm I'm not in your stuff, I'm getting into the text, it's like, I don't like that. That's, That's uncomfortable. That's not the gospel that I was brought up in. And I wasn't brought up in this gospel either. No, it was come to church, go have dinner on Sunday afternoon and have a great time and then live like hell Monday through Saturday. Then come back and check the the church box. That's right. That's exactly right. And God says, if anybody you want to come, now listen, coming to him is being saved. There's no getting saved and not following him. You come to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, brothers and sisters, and yet he cannot be my disciple. You have to, listen, so before you decide to come through the gate, I got to decide, 
bro, that's hard. You sure, Jesus, that I need to do it that way? I've been taught all my life. I need to find a church that makes it a little bit easier. I like this. Next verse, this gets this difficult. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be saved. You can't be his disciple. Next verse. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he's able to finish it? Now watch this. We get a lot of people saved because they don't want to go to hell. And they think, oh, dear God, that means I can't do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. I'm going to, I don't know. I like this better. Go back, 28. For which you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. He wants you to finish. Count the cost. Street evangelists, love you. Hear me. You got to include this in your teaching and preaching. Yes. You don't need a homeless person just praying a prayer. That's and then you put it on, you know, Facebook. We had 73 people get born again today. Did you sit down with them and say, here's what it costs? If you're not ready, if you're not ready, Freddie, listen, I'll be back next week and I'm going to continue to preach because I want you to be so in love, not with going to heaven, not with having your sins forgiven and not having a place over your head. I want you to be so in love with him that you fall in love with Jesus, that you're willing to do whatever he asks and pay whatever price to follow him. I'm coming back next week, but I want you to sit down and I want you to calculate while you're under the bridge what it means to follow him. Don't look for somebody to pray the prayer. That's not your goal. Your goal is to get someone to follow him. All right, next verse. I got to hurry. Lest after he has laid the foundations, not able to finish it. How many people have walked through the gate? I'd rather, you, I'd rather you delay your start and stand outside the gate for as long as it takes and we'll pray over you that God protects you during this decision, this time of contemplation, of introspecting, of counting the cause. You don't go to war overnight. You don't change your lifestyle overnight. You don't change your eternal destination with a thought. It's a struggle. That's right. That's right. I'm not interested in you just going right here. I'm going to heaven now. I prayed a prayer when I was six at vacation Bible school. But you party, you cuss, you lie, you have no heart for God. That's right. That's right. Go right you have no conviction. You have no desire to, pure, uh, to, to please him, to walk pure before God. Good. And when That's people good. bring it up, you get mad, you get angry. You get upset. 
I don't feel that way. I don't believe that. I don't care how you feel, and I really don't care how you believe. It's not based upon what you feel and what you believe. It's what he says right here, right here. Get mad all you want to. It's your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your auntie. Get mad all you want to. It's right here. It's right here. You got to be able to finish it. What else does it say? And if you don't, they're going to mock you. I thought you were Christian. I thought you were saved. Next verse. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Next verse. A white king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him or with 20,000. Next. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Next. So likewise. Oh, here it is. Whoever of you who does not forsake all. You hear what I'm saying? I can't party with who I used to party with. I, I can't party. I can't, I can't share in what they share with. I can't. can't do it forsake all he cannot be my disciple is there any more salt is good but if the salt has lost its flavor how shall it be seasoned next it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill but men throw it out he who has ears to hear let him hear what I'm saying let him hear it spirit of God speak to us Being saved looks a certain way. Being saved talks a certain way. Being saved, listen, responds a certain way. Not perfection. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. I'm not talking about making a mistake or sinning and this, that, and the other, but I'm, not, I'm talking about perpetually. I'm talking about it doesn't bother you. It doesn't, you there's no conviction in your heart. We're all going to fall. We're all going to make mistakes. That's not what he's talking about, but it's about the point. Well, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. I, I, I got, I'm filled with grace and blood of Jesus Christ. No, because of grace and because of the blood, yes. you don't want to do that anymore. You don't want to live that way anymore. Yes. And he says, why is this terrifying? Luke 14, he says it. Why is this terrifying? They'll seek to enter, not be able. Lord, open for us, and he'll say, I don't know you. And they said, Lord, we drank with you in your prayer. We took communion We sat in your presence and we ate with you and drank with you. You taught us. And he says, I tell you, I do not know you. Most terrifying passage of the Bible is right there. And very few that find that gate. No works, 
I can't, I can't get here by works. But I will believe that he is the son of God, that he shed his blood for me. I believe that on the third day he came back from the dead. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I acknowledge I am in need of a Savior. I am a sinner separated from Him. But oh God, oh God, I have made up my mind that I will repent and turn from all of that to be your disciple. I will turn away from every relationship, every habit, every desire, every sensuous, sensual activity and behavior in my life. And, oh, Lord, I will follow you. I choose you today. All my sin, all my guilt, all of the things in my life that I've done wrong, I ask that your blood covers me. And Lord, I will come if you will have me. And it is at this moment Right here. That the blood is applied. It is at this place. It is narrow. It is difficult. It's hard to get here. Salvation's free. But you have to wrestle. To get to this spot. Standing feet all across the room. Second Corinthians chapter five, I believe it is, tells us to do one thing. It says here in the text, Second Corinthians 13, verse five through seven, 13. He says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. That's what he said. He said, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. The proof of whether or not you're saved is not what you did when you were seven. And I thank God for seven or 17 or 27. And I thank God for that moment. 
But the proof is not that moment alone, but how that moment has affected you today. Examine yourself. Am I willing to step out into eternity with how I'm living now, my biblical worldview as it is today, in light of what I know the scriptures teach, not your comfort level, not your conviction level, not your, but what the scriptures teach and what it means to follow him. Or should I come back to the gate if I've never really been truly born again and say, Lord, I get rid of all the baggage. I read presuppositions, my own feelings and thoughts. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this room, God, I want every person to be born again in this room. And no one to hear the words, depart from me, for I never knew you. Being saved is an encounter that changes you forever. Your head's about eyes closed. How many can say, Pastor, I'm not sure right now. I'm not sure. But I want to make sure right now. I'm willing to cross the threshold, repent, and get truly born again today. If that's you, raise your hand as high as you can. Let me see. Anyone in the room? Anyone in the room? Raise it high. Raise it. I'm not sure. Thank you, Lord. Anybody in the house? I'm looking. Thank you. Now, Father, I thank you. This will set well in our spirits today. Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Yeah, let's give him a hand clap of praise, would you, right now? Two roads. Two roads. Two roads. It's narrow. Let's get comfortable with one another. Let's do life together. We're five years into a move of God, fixing to be year number six in just a few, six months or so, seven months down the road. And this band of people on this stretch of the narrow road will clear the way for people to come. And we're gonna punch the devil in the throat and he's going to know that there were people from Christ Fellowship Church, from our children to our senior adults, that loved him and loved him well. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. 
I said, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Stay on the narrow road. Stay on the narrow road. Stay on the narrow road. It's not legalism. It's a love relationship with him. Some of your friends, hear me. Yes, Lord. Some of your friends think they're on this road. But they're over there. And the last thing you want is when you stand before the Lord. And your friends standing over here saying, why in the world did you not tell me? Why in the world did you not invite me? Why in the world did you not help me? Why didn't you not tell me the truth? Why did you accommodate and facilitate who I was? I'm telling you, there's a fear and all coming to the house of the Lord. Guys, we got to get this right. We got to get it right. Risk it all. Risk it all to warn others. Risk it all to warn us. Father, bless your people today. May they be the ones, oh God, that never lose their, their savor, their saltiness. Oh God, change our community. Change our friends. Change our neighbors. Change, oh God, our relationships if necessary. Change us, oh God. Change us. Thank you for week. 278, Lord of the North Georgia Revival. Thank you, Lord, for Jeff Lyle tonight. Give him a word for this house. Bless our worship team, oh God. Bless them, bless them, bless them. Set these waters on fire. And everybody in the house said amen. 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 God bless you. Love you. See you this afternoon. Prayer at 5 o'clock. Thank you, guys.